Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. Second uh, show of the day, we have a candidate. Is it for county court or circuit court? County court. County court judge in uh, Pasco. Pasco, Sixth Judicial Circuit. And do you go by Joe Joseph? Uh, whatever works, but Joe usually. Joe Justice. That's me. Wow. I mean, what else could you have done in life but but run for judge? As I say, uh, I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's all in the name. Yeah. So uh, you and and by no means is this a is this a ding against you, but you are probably the first guest that I've never met before in any capacity. In fact, I think it was your wife who uh, we were I think mutually commenting about. Uh, was it Cianti or somebody? I don't know. There was a post where we were kind of started talking about. She's like, "Well, you should. I've heard your podcast. You should have my husband on." And I was like, <laughs> I've, "I've." I said, "I'll talk to anybody." And she said, "Well, then he qualifies." And I was like, <laughs> "That sounded passive aggressive and shitty of me to say I'll talk to anybody." I didn't mean like, well, "Well, shit, I'll talk to anybody." But I was happy that she reached out to me and gave me the opportunity to talk to you. I am literally anybody. Well. Well, that's 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 good to know. Um, so, uh, not knowing much about you will make my job easier today because I'm be hearing these things for the first time. Um, are you uh, a Florida guy? Did you move here? Where were you born? Yep, heck, I was born here. Uh, Where where's here specifically? Here is uh, Lakes Memorial Hospital in Brooksville, Florida. I was one of four hundred. Brooksville. Yeah, four hundred children born in that county in nineteen eighty one. Now you told me you listened to the Bryant Scriven episode. Did you know Bryant independently of that? Or I've had some cases with him. Uh, but my, he's from Brooksville too. Yeah, my wife is um, in an in of court with uh, Lee Scriven. Okay, so I kind of all I've, every name. one of the Scriven family members that I've met are wonderful people. I, I can't say enough good things about Bryant. He's just one of the classiest guys, and I am you know he's a great attorney, super sweet guy. And uh, you're you're kind of a big guy too. I'm a big guy. I get so jealous of these tiny little attorneys <laughs> who fit in these sharp suits, and they all look spit and polished. I always look like I rolled out of a van when I go into court. And so, you know, I, I I like to blame that on his size, but it's probably just that I'm a slob. So I don't know what to say about that. As I sit across from you, dressed like an actual cartoon. You look character. great. You look great. There's there's a uh, Nick Offerman. You know who Nick Offerman yeah. is. So he had this uh, special on Netflix. It's not on Netflix anymore, but he, when he does his stand-up routines, he has this company who does these custom-made shirts for him. And he had the coolest, it was like a denim shirt with like a faded American flag shoulders. And I love that shirt, and I've constantly searched for it online, and I can't find it. But I did find, he just came to Tampa like last year. My wife and I saw him at, at uh, Performing Arts Center, and he had a new different one on, but he has the greatest shirts. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Uh, but you look great. Nothing to worry about. So um, you grew up in Brooksville, went to high school there, all that sort of thing? Or? Yeah, I went to high school in Spring Hill, went to USF for uh, undergrad. I remember when uh, this area of town was one we didn't stop in. Well, you, <laughs> I, I was here till midnight last night catching up on my billing, and there was a lot of quote-unquote car backfires that I was hearing <laughs> last night. So, uh, you know, it's funny. When I bought this building in 2017, it was right around the time of the serial killer who was running around and, and shooting folks. Yeah. And so there's a number of clients who didn't want to come here. There's a halfway house across the street. Uh, you know, I often tell the story uh, of my drive to work. So I live in Ballast Point. Do you know where that is? Not off the top of my head. So it's south of South Tampa, getting close to the, 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 the Air Force Base. Okay. So my drive to work every morning is Bayshore Boulevard, which is the you know highest income houses <laughs> probably in the Tampa Bay area. Then I go through the city, then I cross under the uh, the interstate, and then I drive Florida Avenue past, you know, um, halfway houses, recovery homes. You know, there's there's a lot of of uh, of uh, you know homeless people and this sort of thing. So going to and from work every day is just kind of experiencing the whole whole social spectrum. It's kind of an interesting. Trip. The story I tell is there's an episode of The Simpsons where Bart goes to the wrong side of the tracks, <laughs> and literally it's like a mansion with a railroad track and then like a pawn shop, and it's just he's like, "Whoa, the wrong side of the tracks," and it's like ten feet apart from each other. I feel like I live my life in Simpsons references. Well, we're of that age. I'm I'm a little bit older. I'm forty. I'll be forty five in December. But uh, yeah, there's there's I, and I wasn't an avid watcher, but there's there's definitely references that. <laughs> uh, 
I, a lot of Monty Burns sayings always kind of bounce around in my heads when I'm talking head when I'm talking about people. But anyway, so uh, high school Brooksville. Now, are you an only child? Do you have siblings? No, nah, I got a little sister. She's eight years younger than me, so we weren't super close then. We're good, we're better friends as grown ups as uh, than what we does were. she do? Uh, well, she uh, is a victim of the COVID thing, so right now she's in between jobs. By that you mean lost her job because of yes. it, not 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 tested actually positive tested for positive. COVID. Okay, all right. Um, and you said, does she have kids? Is she married or anything like that? No. Nope. All right. Do you have kids? I do. How many kids do you have? I have two kids. They're awesome. One's uh six, one's eight. The eight-year-old is Juliet. The six-year-old is Mark. I have a boy and a girl too. I have a two-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl, and I'm I'm very happy to have checked off both boxes and two two's a good number you know yeah my my wife's family my wife is one of six. Oh wow yeah and i don't i can't i can't understand that like it's i mean from that time i mean we're talking you know 60s 70s a little bit more understandable and they were from like the plant city brandon area so it was a little bit more of a farm type of situation where but i don't see how in this day and age you can have more than two at least close together, and I mean, I'm not denigrating people, but damn, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm sure we've gone back and forth a million times about having more, and it's it's tough because sometimes you're like, this is exactly the amount where I'm not outnumbered, right? And I have a lot of friends that have jumped in, and they're like, three is a whole different world. Yeah, my sister in law and brother in law, they have three, and I just I, I watch them. And I'm like, uh, you you asked for it, you <laughs> you know, <laughs> I feel bad for you, but I kind of don't. You know, you had every. Uh, my 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 third niece Lola is is beautiful and amazing, but it's it's definitely you know it's not one more. It's a, it's a, it's a multiplier of the amount of work. It seems to me like the three is the big break though, because once they get to four, five, six, then like you're just fucked. Everything after that, yeah, just, it's just yeah. yeah. Once the house is on fire, you know, it's kind of <laughs> like okay, well, whatever. Um, so uh, growing up in Brooksville, did you play any sports or? Uh, not so much. I mean, I did all the stuff little kids do. I did, uh, you know, Little League basketball sure. and then Little League baseball. What was your thing? Were you an artsy guy, music guy, God, what was athletic, my thing? Huh. loner, joiner? Oh, my goodness. I don't even know anymore. Yeah. I was, uh, I was probably, I was like the kid that was into the Beatles. Sure. And stuff like that. And uh, my two favorite bands are way across the spectrum. It's the Beatles, which in the late 90s was just the right time because the anthology and all that stuff came sure. out. yeah. And it was just a, it was... Like time for them to come back, and then it's a uh, bad religion is the other half. Bad religion, I've seen them a few times. I love, you know, American Jesus. One of my favorite uh, songs that album was was uh, around the time I was a freshman in high school, I think, and I was huge into Bad Religion. Yeah, my favorite song all time is this oddball one called Along the Way. It's only like a minute and twenty seconds. Okay, yeah, I mean, and they're still around today, still kicking. It's funny yeah. they're all really old men now. I was just uh, looking at an article by I think it was Brett Gerwitz. Uh, that was on social media the other day. Is it Brett Gerwitz? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it's pretty interesting. It's weird to me is that I've seen them so many times and with so many combinations of people that now when they tour, I'm like, which people are on the tour? Yeah. I will determine whether or not I want to go. Well, for sure. Because uh, who's it? Brian, who's the guy who was in Minor Threat? Now he's got his own band. He was a guitarist for them for a while. And then there's the one guy who played, I think he played in GBH and Circle Jerks and... There's like three Bretts in the band, I think. Yeah, and the one uh, isn't there commonly because he left to form Epitaph because they got tired of the record industry. Right, right, right. And, you know, the rare times that he's around are the ones that I try to hit. See. I haven't seen him in a while, but... They've always kept the same singer, though, right? Uh, the, the professor. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's weird that they're a group of extremely smart guys... Highly intelligent. ...who started a band named after the idea that would piss off parents the most. Well, it's funny because around that time, too, there was The Offspring, and there was the, like a molecular biologist in there. Yeah, and then, Dexter Holland, right? Yeah, and then I always... One of my near and dear favorite bands is the Butthole Surfers, mm -hmm. and at least two of them were CPAs. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I always... It, it it gives me hope that there might be some other reality for me than just being in family law. Like I always toy with the idea of having a a good friend of mine who's an attorney is the lead singer of Wolfface. Uh, he's a personal injury attorney, but he's also uh, the lead singer of Wolfface, and so I'm super jealous of him. Is uh, it, it's like the great truth of being a lawyer is that every one of us is dreaming of doing something else. Doing something else, one hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, you liked the Beatles, you liked Bad Religion, and uh, after high school you said you went to USF? USF, and then uh, sports-wise, the sport for me has always been hockey. Really? So I spent all of USF, the time at USF, pretty much playing hockey and, you know, consuming beverages. 
That was where did hockey time. come from? I uh, you know I've always liked hockey. My, I mean in your life, not so it's not a, the history of hockey. It's an it's kind of a goofy thing. I uh, my family like I'm from Florida, but a little a couple years before that, the whole family was from Pittsburgh. Okay, so as well, a kid, go. the Penguins the yeah. extended family was up there. We'd go up there for different trips, and of course, you think a place is great when you only visit for three days at a time. But I'd always stay with my cousins, and they had these posters on the wall, kind of like you do. And there's this dude on the wall, like Lemux or something. And I'm like, Mario Lemieux, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what's a Lemux? And they make fun of me. Yeah. So they end up sticking a video. I end up watching hockey the whole trip. And by the time I got home, I was addicted. Um, and then, you know, I made some friends that played roller hockey. And then from roller hockey, we went to ice. We actually founded a team in like 99 here called the Lucky Devils. Okay. And they still exist. If you go out to like the Brandon Ice Sports Forum, there's a competitive Lucky Devils team, and none of those people have any idea who we are. And we're like, we founded you we guys founded in a bar team. 20 years ago. That's hilarious. It was The whole idea was we had a friend who was a graphic designer, and he drew a shamrock with a horn you got to send me, do you still have the logo of it? Yeah, I still own some merch for no, it. No, you got to get, but yeah, that was it. get a shirt. He was like, I can make a really easy logo. So he draws this shamrock with horns and a pitchfork, and we're like, done. Perfect. That's it. We played that for four years, and it's it's lived on since. That's awesome. So, are, so the Penguins your team or Lightning no, or no. both or? I uh, it's just the Lightning now. So I yeah. followed the Lightning since they came into existence. Yeah, ninety two. I'm like an unofficial team historian at this point. I know my wife was kind of was. I don't know if she was a cheerleader or what, but when they played at the fairgrounds or whatever. Yeah, that's way back when. Way back when, yeah. So she she's got some history there too. Yeah, I actually wrote a bunch of articles and. The Lightning picked him up and published some of them. Oh, wow. It was actually one of the most frustrating experiences of my entire life. Why so? So I start writing these things and sticking them on the internet, and I started to get a following. And then I get contacted by the team. And they're like, hey, we saw these in the offseason. We need content. Uh, we would love to start publishing them. They were just like background bios on older right. players, you know, how I grew to love this guy or that guy, personal experiences. You know, I saw this guy at this game do this or that. And um, they were not like the most PC things because I'd cuss through them. I'd tell you know, sometimes what, like, you want what I remember about yeah. this guy is that he sucked, you know, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So, um, but they took the stuff and I'm like super excited. This is a dream come true. I've loved the lightning, my, right. their whole existence. They're going to do something with my name on it. I'm stoked. And then I got to meet like NHL PR clearance stuff. And by the time we got through all like of it and they senses. published one, yeah. oh, it just, it, nothing. Left I was like, it. I was like, I, I'd like to go back to just being a fan because yeah. the uh, experience was Oh. draining well at least you're attached to the to the team in in some ways so oh I yeah guess that's kind of cool i i thought it was awesome but it was it was i could i could the frustration i makes sense to me now so uh usf what was your major what'd you study oh history because uh i've wanted to be a lawyer since i was like yay tall really and yay is uh you know five years old or so yeah my For grandmother those of you who can't see through the microphone <laughs> yay is five years old yeah. So my grandmother says, you're going to be a lawyer. And I'm like, cool. Problem solved. Know what I'm going to do. Was she a big uh, a big uh, character in your life? Someone? Yeah. She's one of those stereotypical Italian grandmothers feed you too much. You know. So Italian grandmother. So, so what is justice? What is? Oh, uh, so I actually had to do a report on this in high school. And our best guess is justice is one of those made up names that you got stuck with when you immigrated over. Like, yeah. Somebody asked what you did and they were probably either a cop you know, law or enforcement a, yeah, or something yeah. or a judge. And they were like, all right, justice is your name. Have you ever done like the DNA stuff? Or I haven't done it. Okay. My, my sister did it because I thought it was BS. I was like, they're just looking you up on Facebook and sticking up stuff in yeah. there. But um, yeah, we're we're like a quarter Sicilian. Okay. And then I think the rest of us is total Heinz fifty seven. Okay. Okay. Cool. So um, USF, you studied history. Yeah, because I knew I was going to law school, and halfway through, I was undeclared all the way to halfway through junior year when somebody. Like from the admission or whatever it is, you know, the planning yeah. comes to me and they're like, you literally have to pick a major. Right. Like you can't go any further than this without one. And I was like, all right. So I looked through and I had almost as many credits as it took to have a history major. So you're right like, there. Yeah. Oh, I'm like two classes away from this one. Done deal. Nice. And I ended up with a specialization in the Soviet Union of all things. Wow. Well, and it came from hockey because I was obsessed with the Russian well, hockey players well, that, that came over. There you go. And who knew that in this day and age, knowledge of Russian history would be so... Uh, Important. You don't need to comment. I know it's a nonpartisan position, but I'm not running for judge, so I can say whatever I want to say. You go for it. Anyway, so uh, did you? Where did you go to law school? UF. Okay, and was that your first choice, or did you apply to a bunch of places? Or uh, I mean, I I did the application. Gosh, we were just talking about the LSAT today at work, and well, you know now they're doing uh, the the bar. The change? bar's going to do it remote. Yeah, I saw that. That's craziness I don't... to me. 
I have so many questions, but at the same time, yes. the less I can think about the bar, the better. So what a, it, that another universal lawyer experience is that nobody enjoyed it. Well, I was just talking. So you're the second guest today. I had Gary Dolgen on, who's board certified in family law, and I had actually started in uh, 2014 studying to get my board certification. But it was around that time that we had my daughter. And uh, we had to go through IVF and we were doing kind of all that stuff. And I was just like, I don't have the bandwidth to do what we're doing to have this child run the business. Because my wife, although she's an attorney and my partner, she had stopped working because she was pregnant and everything. So I was like, I just don't think I can do it service. And I know if I do it, I'm going to do it one time. And if I pass it, great. If I don't, I took a shot. But uh, yeah, thinking about any of those tests just give me stomach aches. I've thought about doing the board certification for criminal, but it's it's kind of pointless when you're a state attorney. But the uh, the big problem with it is that half of it's federal. Yeah. So I'd have to just go and learn all learn the that federal for the first stuff time. purely for the test. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, not to kind of divert from your interview, but the why you're doing it is an interesting question that you should have an answer to when you're doing it. Because if you're doing it to make more money, that's not probably <laughs> the best idea. And obviously, as a state attorney, it really doesn't matter. Maybe in the private bar, it might make a difference. But in any event, so I had, a, I had an, actually a terrible motivation for doing it. Okay, it was just to prove to somebody Ego else driven. that I could. It was somebody else went for it, and it was after a trial. I was like, you know what? I think I might go get this just to prove to him that I can do it. And keep well, so so that's an interesting topic. I'll talk on that for a second. So that's probably the main reason that I would do it is ego, and I don't. I'm not a, a big ego person, but the one thing that I have enjoyed in an otherwise unenjoyable profession as I look at it was being in trial. I went to Stetson. I was on the trial team. I was a prosecutor over in Pinellas County. And as you know, as a pro- you get to do a lot of trial work. And mm-hmm. it's it's one of the areas in this job where you can somewhat be an artist. You can somewhat be a performer. You can somewhat insert your personality into the practice of law. And so the trial part of it I've always loved, and historically, I've never found board-certified attorneys to be that amazing in trial. And so what would kill me is, okay, you know, I'm, I'm wiping the floor with you in trial, but you're board-certified, so I'm having to compete against that. So for me, like you mentioned, I don't know if it's exactly the same thing for you, but I don't want anybody to have a leg up on me <laughs> when I'm arguing about it, because I know I'm a good attorney, and just having that doesn't mean you're a good or not a good attorney. It means you were able to pass a test, but I don't ever want anyone having a leg up on me. So in some, some, some interpretation, that's an ego thing. So anyway, I just, yeah, this no, is your interview and I'm talking. The whole no, time. no, that's, that's great. But I mean, you really hit it. I mean, trial is, that's the thing. I don't think I would still be a lawyer if it wasn't for the joy that is trial. Like that's, that's my happy place as a lawyer. Heck that, whole reason I want to be a county court judge is because that was the first time in my life I was happy practicing law. Yeah. I went down, you know, they hand you some files because I was in the sixth. Oh, yeah. They give you some files and like, hey, these are your cases. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're down there picking a jury with no idea what you're doing. So what year were you at UF? Uh, I graduated in 06. So 03 to 06? So I was there during the um, the basketball national championship. Oh, yeah. And what was it? I Noah? Left. What was the guy's name? Joachim Noah. Yeah. And, yeah, but I uh, I was also there for the Ron Zook era for football, which oh, was that, not so hot. Okay. Well, uh, your, the previous guest today, uh, Gary Dolgen, is also a UF law school grad, and he was telling me how he remembered studying and hearing the football going on outside the library and not being able to go to the games and yeah. – I don't know if that was your experience, but... So I was there. Uh, they were remodeling the law school, so a chunk of my time in law school, our library was in old Publix off of Archer. So Ooh. as a result, I basically never went to the library. Sit in the bakery but, and knock down some torts. And uh, What was really strange was the parking lot for the law school is like where the Bull Gators park. Yeah. Like big donors. So you get this little piece of paper on your car on Thursday morning that says... This thing had better be out of here by five. Yeah, don't leave it here. We will tow it at your expense. That place is lousy with motor scooters now, and they, I don't is even it? know if they've gotten the the, the stand up ones like we have here. But my uh, huh. my niece went there, and everybody has scooters, and everybody just like leaves them everywhere. It's like you know how the stand up ones are yeah. down here. It's that way with like mopeds up there. Or at least it was the last time that I was up there. You ever been out to Austin? Texas? Yeah. No. Oh, we were there last year. It literally looks like litter on the corner, every I'm corner. I'm hoping, I thought it was a good idea, but like I have one over here in my parking lot that's been there for two months and I'm like, come do something with this thing. I mean, I don't see as many people on them now as there were in the beginning, uh, but they're just laying around everywhere. Yeah, so. that was, 
it, it made the city look kind of dirty. It was a uh, well. Uh, I don't know. So you're you're two of three today. I, I usually knock out a couple in one day, so I have I have backups to kind of get me through holiday weeks and everything. And so I'm not sure if it's my third guest today, Mark Baseman, or not. But someone said, and I thought it was the 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 perfect uh, description. He said it looked like the rapture happened, and God only took people on scooters. <laughs> like they all just fell over. So I always, I always I'm stealing that line. Yeah, I always appreciated that uh, description of the scooter. So um, after UF, where did you go to? Where was your first job? Oh, uh, so I got a job in the time-honored manner of all lawyers that graduate from law school without a job. You call everybody that you know. Right. I called my dad's lawyer who worked at Trenum. Oh, okay. Uh, he's like, come on down, have lunch. I go down to downtown Tampa, you know, fancy pants lunch. Yeah. And they're like, what did you like in law school? And my thing in law school was consumer protection. I loved consumer wow. protection. I thought it was so cool. I was going to go make a giant difference in this world protecting consumers. I uh, I tell him that, and he's like, wow, that that's amazing, because our brother-in-law just got a job, or just started a thing at Morgan & Morgan doing right. consumer protection. Yeah. And I'm like, Okay, so they kind of walked me across the street to meet this other guy. Next thing I know, I have my first gig working. You worked consumer, consumer protection. protection. It and it's a longer story. I usually don't tell the story because it's confusing. In that, uh, my boss had just convinced John Morgan to take on consumer protection as a practice. So at the time, they were still of counsel to it. So right. I was technically working for the attorney that was of counsel to Morgan. So I have like Morgan and Morgan letterhead, but I don't have a Morgan and Morgan paycheck. So Tab Gomez and Frank Kearney, who worked for Barry Terex, they both left there and do, were doing consumer protection. Then there's an, another attorney, and I'm sure you know who this is. He's out on his own now with his wife, and he's got like five or six kids. He did consumer protection for Morgan and Morgan. I'm trying to think of his name, but no, it's it's been a big market since yeah. right around that time. I know it's gone. There is the FDCPA and the FCPA yeah. and all these other things, and now I know that they're putting a lot of time into the credit reporting stuff. Uh, I've I've yeah. I've used them for personal purposes and referred a lot of my family law clients. Actually, I had a family law client where. Uh, the Department of Revenue placed a lien on my client improperly and actually got Morgan & Morgan going after them <laughs> for that, which was pretty interesting. But so how long did you do that? Uh, not a ton of time. And I always think that's a weird one because the you, you know the legal standard in it is the least sophisticated consumer would find it offensive. Yeah. It's like the lowest standard I can even imagine in the law. Right. And I remember I got this... Uh, this I, I, Disenfranchised? Yeah, in that, you know, so somebody would get harassed You'd file a suit. They'd get $1,500. You'd get your attorney's fees. Like, that's great. So uh, then, like, a month later, those people would call you and be like, hey, people are calling me again asking me to pay my bills. I'm like, you owe them money. Yeah. They're like, yeah, but you got me money last time. Right. Like, that guy threatened to crucify you. Right. This is a little different. They're allowed to call you and tell you you owe them money. Right. No, it's, well, with with all things in the law, there's an abuse of it. Yeah. There's a There's a need for it. It's kind of, what, it's a, what do they call it? A shield and a sword. You got to yeah. kind of. Use the right way. Well, one of the things that was interesting to me is uh, my mom against my... So my dad died in 2018. My mom died in 2019. And months before my mom passed away, she decided to renew her lease with Toyota. And I was like, just don't get another car. You barely can get out of the house. You're in your bed. You know, if you want, I'll show you how to order an Uber. You can Uber to your doctor, do whatever you need to, or I'll come pick you up. She's like, "I I just don't want to make life that difficult. And I was like... Making life difficult is you buying another car <laughs> and having to, you know, handicaps, walk out and do all this. But anyway, she did it, and then she passed away uh, a, year, a year ago this month. And uh, I, the day after she passed, I took her car to, back to Toyota and uh, uh, US 19 in Pinellas Park, and I said, here's her car. And they wanted me to sign all this stuff, and I was like, I'm not signing anything. That wasn't my car. It wasn't my lease. I'm not... A guarantor, I have no <laughs> way involved in that. I'm not signing shit. Here's your keys, and then they start calling me like every month to collect, you know, to, to collect lease money. It's like you're calling the wrong person, A and B. You know, I'm grieving for my mom. Stop calling me about my mom. Like I'm trying to, yeah, you know. And so I, I t- we didn't do anything with it, but you know, I I see that on both sides of that consideration there's abuse so and it's the same thing with criminal law you oh know, yeah when i was a prosecutor some of those groups overlap 
Well, for sure. You know, when, you know, I, I have always been very liberal, politically speaking. And so I was kind of an odd man out as a prosecutor over in the sixth in Pinellas County, because it's a very conservative office, even still to this day. And politically, I just didn't line up a lot with the people that were there. But I do remember when I left, uh, friends and family, the question that you always hear is, how can you defend a criminal or how can you do? And, you know, I, I think we're learning in society today that, you know, just because the police do something doesn't mean it's been done correctly. And I'm not vilifying, you know, I'm not saying anything about the police, but, you know, it's not that clear cut. You know, there's abuses of process. There's abuses of punishment. There's abuses of all, all these things. And, you know, the system only works if everybody's following the law. So mm -hmm. if they're not, then, then, you know, you got to do your job as, as a defense attorney. So, uh, leaving your post at Trenum slash Morgan, did that was that your transition then to the state attorney? Yeah, office? that's that's where I ended up with the state. And like I said, that's you know they give me some files. I end up picking some juries, and I discovered that's what I really love in life is trying the cases. But and I, I'm as a prosecutor, I'm probably a little different than you know a lot of the guys you see out on the line. I'm uh, I've spoken to citizens and stuff, and I always try to say you know the public defender and the state attorney's office, we're not always opposed. Yeah. We're servants of the Constitution. Right. So I'm always trying to say, you know, my best friend in a courtroom is a good public defender. Right. Because we can look at a case and say, you know, people get this this TV version of it where they expect that we're fighting tooth and nail. And a lot of times you're just like, moving we're cattle. just I mean, looking not, not for to, the fair outcome. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. You're moving a lot of cases through, and it's only a very small percentage of those that you're really kind of litigating and going having yeah. these evidentiary motions on. And it's true. Some of my... Best friends as a state attorney were public defenders or people in the private bar. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who are cops and state attorneys now, too. So 100 um, percent. So that office, uh, when I was in when I was in Pinellas, uh, I left and Tom Koskinas replaced me. Tom was a uh, Pasco guy. Were you, are you Dade City or Newport Ritchie? Newport Ritchie. OK, I think he was there. And then Mike Halkidis was one of the supervisors. He sure was. Uh, I, I went to law school with Ken Foote, who practices a lot out there. And Ev Eva Virgos, who, yeah. you know, they have a child. Um, she's running. She's been mm -hmm. on the show. Uh, Eva I don't know. and uh, Eva's son and my daughter were supposed to be born on the same day. Oh, wow. We were prosecutors at the same time. So we uh, when we announced that we were having it was the exact same due date. Hers actually came early because she was in a just absolutely insane DUI manslaughter trial that the stress from it oh, caused no. an early uh, birth. Wow. Um, and uh, was Mary Hansel there when you were there? She was not. Actually, uh, it was Mary Hansel's spot that I got when I got hired because I got hired during the hiring freeze from okay. the uh, collapse. And it was if it hadn't been for her becoming a judge, they wouldn't have had a spot. So did they have this uh, thing when you were there? Because it's because it's still under Bernie, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's still the state attorney. He just oh. got another term. Did he really? Yeah. He's <sighs> unopposed. He's uh, he's guaranteed another term. Man alive. That office needs a <laughs> an evolution. I'm saying this. You're not saying I anything. I am not saying this. You're no. not saying anything. I'm I am saying... a big fan of Mr. McCabe and his support of well, me. There you go. There you go, Mr. McCabe. Uh, in any event, where was I going with this? Oh, Mary Hans. So th there was a rule that before I think you could take any vacation time, uh, you had to do like two or three ride-alongs or something like that. Did they have that when you were they there? They didn't in Pasco. Okay. Halkitas had a very different approach to okay. law enforcement relationships than they did in the okay. Pinellas. Well, so in any event, the story, I, 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 we did a warrant delivery, and it was Mary Hansel and I with the St. Pete Police Department. And it was the most bizarre, scary experience in the world. <laughs> I won't bore you with it today, but I, I always remember Mary for that reason. So uh, you were in county. Who were your judges that you practiced in front uh, of? I started in front of uh, Judge uh, Mark Sultan, who had been on the bench okay. forever. He's retired now. Right. Um, and he was an interesting character because you, not often you're in county court with a guy that's argued before the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, and he was a uh, – I learned very quickly I didn't like being yelled at. So oh, yeah. I got a lot better at my job because he was the guy that would let you know when you had messed up. Temperament. Let's yeah. circle back to temperament oh, okay. at the end of this one. Sure. All right. So who else? So then uh, I ended up in front of all of them down there because uh, we were we were like trial junkies, right? Was so Andrews down there at all? When Andrews you were there? was. Andrews Ballone. was. Uh, Balone was not. It was Andrews and then. Um, Payne Covert. Gosh, who was uh, Andrews and Crane were the two circuit judges. Sean Crane was, was a was a was a misdemeanor there. division director at yeah. the state attorney's office when I was there. Yeah. So. Um, I, yeah, Crane and Andrews were on the bench uh, circuit-wise, and the county judges were uh, Wandsboro, Salton, and Judge Roberts. 
And like I said, we were trial junkies. So what we do is every Monday morning, I'd wander down to the courtroom and see if I could get into any trial. So right. I think I tried without ever having been directly assigned to Judge Roberts. I probably tried more cases in front of Judge heard. Roberts <laughs> than in almost any of them. And uh, I tried a couple in front of Judge Wansborough. I was in there for, I had this fun experience of being in there during the financial crisis. Yeah. And uh, the way they handled in the sixes, they didn't fill the spots. Right. And we were so happy to have jobs, I was happy to do it, but I had like a thousand cases. Yeah. Every time I'd leave my office, I'd come back and find a stack taller than me. Now, I've always heard, and, and I don't know if this is something that's discussed or you can verify, but I, you know, that there's like this 85% conviction rate. Oh, I'm sure. Sure, it's through the roof. It's not the trial conviction rate. It's just the overall successfully well, maybe, resolved. Well, I thought, but but I I've always found of all the counties to to get a deal in that was one of the tougher ones. Oh, I think uh, at the time I was there, West Pasco was one of the worst places in Central Florida for you to commit an offense. Yeah, and has it changed at all to your experience? Or? I, I I I can't speak to it as much now. Right. Um. It's so weird that the people that I was down there trying misdemeanors with are now career criminal prosecutors, right. supervisors, you know, so wow. now they're sort of my friends from that experience. So right. I, I don't know what the, what they do. I, I couldn't tell you what the temperature is among the, you know, the right. defense attorneys because I can't divorce myself from that. So how long were you there? Uh, I did my, my three years, just a little bit more. Okay. And uh, this is, you'll relate to this. Uh, my daughter was born. Okay. And as you know, diapers and formula and all that stuff. No not sleep. Cheap. Yeah. So yeah, no sleep too. But uh, at that point i Sort of looking at this was again that was the first time they started having us pay for insurance. We got we had to pay our bar dues the one year, so it was every year they were cutting more. So it was we were taking home less, and I'm paying out more for this. So I decided I was going to go chase money, which is a you know time honored legal tradition sure. too. Uh, and I that's how I ended up leaving the state. So I was in private practice for uh. Oh, goodness. I'm not the best on my own biography, as terrible as that is. That's okay. So I left. uh, Where'd you go from there? I went to a law firm in Tampa to do uh, um, property insurance defense. Oh, wow. And, you know, I discovered it was weird going from the state where you're walking in and you're like, I represent the people of the state of Florida. I'm the good guy in the room. Then you're going and doing these mass depots. And you're like, I represent the The insurance insurance company company. that didn't want to pay this claim that. This person's maimed. and Yeah. You know, like this guy's life is ruined. So that was a little different experience. My wife would kill me for saying that because she's on the defense side. But it's, it's everybody serves a purpose. Yeah, and she's cogs in the. Yeah, she sees it totally differently than I did. Um, well, again, like you mentioned with the consumer protection, there's people that take advantage of insurance mm-hmm. companies and in injury cases and in property insurance litigation. I mean, we're, we do plaintiffs work with PI and property insurance, but my partner Marie's husband does insurance defense, and no, I mean, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. You dealt with a lot of insurance adjusters because one of the interesting dynamics is they love to find an inconsistency and just get Hawk stuck on it. on it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm doing an arson case, and the you know the story is the guy went out to go pick up dinner, and when he came back, the kitchen was on fire. And in one interview, he said they went to get Chinese, and in the other one, he said he went to get pizza. And the adjuster was just certain it's fraud. We can't believe what you because ate because they didn't know could, what he ate. Yeah. And I'm like. But we've confirmed that everybody agrees that they left to go out to eat. Like, and the house burned down. I don't. So, yeah. I don't know that that's the make or break effect yeah. in this scenario. So that was a, that was a dynamic change in uh, lifestyle for me. I, I always love uh, these conversations I have with clients. I, I have a hard time not reverting to sarcasm pretty quickly. But <laughs> like in criminal cases, it's like they said that I was driving a blue car and it was a it was a teal car, a green car, and it's like. If this were a trial about what color your car was, then that would be a great defense, but it's not. No one gives a shit what color your car was. That's not what our game is here. All of a sudden, people that didn't uh, get through 10th grade English class are grammatical specialists as they read the report. Well, again, and I'm sorry (laughs) to keep doing this to you, by by no means does Mr. uh, Justice assume my political views on anything or subscribe to what I think. He's got his own views, but... I'm appreciating now how many history buffs we have who are appalled by taking down statues because they're so concerned uh, about preserving our history. You don't need to comment, but I, I've asked my. You, you're welcome to if you I, want. I've got to, a, a rant that I go on about this, but uh, so what I hate is I have this perception that what we're doing is we're cartooning history. Uh, that's what that's how what I've been calling it. I see more and more that we don't want to get in depth and talk about the details behind things. We just want to decide because it's easier that. Some one side lost because they were bad. Right. You're seeing this a lot with World War II. Obviously, the the Confederate stuff is a lot more detailed and close to home, but it's easy to talk about the World War II one. If you talk to people now, they're like, "Well, the Nazis were evil, yeah, and that's why they committed world. That's why World War II happened right. because they're evil." 
And you're like, that's really forgetting like the Big. devastating social issues. The fact that, I mean, Hitler rode communism right. to get all that extra power. And people don't realize people were so afraid of communism, they were willing to embrace Nazism to get rid of the communists. Like, there's a lot of details in the background. And all you're doing is saying they were bad, so they got to go. And it's right. the same stuff with this. So I'm definitely in favor of more education. Now, I mean, these things are all case by case, too, because you see some of this stuff was clearly done. Well, with some of these statues, what you, what you come to find out is that a lot of them were put up during the Civil Rights era, mm-hmm. during segregation. These weren't statues that have been around yeah. for since the Civil War. They were put up in the 60s as so, kind of a fuck you to the Civil Rights Movement. Yeah. And so in that case, by all means, get rid of it. And, and another thing is is the, the, the inscriptions at the bottom are not like, you know— yeah. You know, giving you history, it's like this honorable figure fought for our southern mm-hmm. heritage. And you know, what's funny is I my the office I work in has a Confederate statue out front. Okay. It's one of those ones that was they're like the churned out mass stamped ones that yeah. were put up by the do uh, the daughters of the Confederacy. Yeah. And um, they got so worried that somebody was going to tear it down that they put this fancy fence around uh-huh. it. And I, the fence is probably more valuable than the uh, statue. The statue, is. yeah, yeah. But I love, but again, getting back to the point is you, you mentioned how many people, you know, tenth grade education has become lawyers. Mm-hmm. Is I'm amazed by how many history buffs we have now. Oh, geez, Facebook is the worst. Yeah, place on the planet. yeah. So, uh, so then you did that for how long? The, the uh, insurance defense. Uh oh boy, I didn't, I didn't stay in that one for a long time. I realized right away that it was going to be a problem. And it's funny, it's about a day or two into me working there. They get an opinion from the DCA overturning one of their cases, and the opinion is horrific. Brutal. It basically says that the attorneys at this place committed completely unethical practices oh, no. in an effort to win. That essentially was, they called it, um, it was something like trial by ambush or whatever, that they had um, they had done something so offhandedly bad that they were the the court itself was appalled and i'm reading this and mind you the people at the firm are complaining about how dare the court say this about us and i'm reading this and going what kind of place did, what I, did I just walk yeah. into yeah so uh at that point i start going home and taking cle's on how to form your own law firm i buy like the how to start and build your own law sure. practice book i am a student of the starting my own business game did you find that helpful uh you know, i've always you found that that's something i've always found that that's been sorely lacking from a legal education yeah i really wish that they would restructure legal education to at least a portion of it speak to the fact that i i, I would i don't know what percentage of law school graduates go into private practice but i would have to imagine like their own their own yeah. shop i would have to imagine it's a pretty high percentage and it's scary to me it's not easy i mean no. i've been at this going on 20 years i've been in private practice since 2005 and you know everything that i've learned has been through fucking it up first you yeah. know and, and it's like oh i don't want to do that again <laughs> you know and at a certain point but you know if, if there's a way to kind of smooth out the curve i would just be interested you're you're yeah. studying up on it before doing it i i i try to invest i would uh you know like on my lunch breaks i'd go and like look up forming corporations or a website or and then i ended up you know in the dirty evil rabbit hole of like how seo works and google oh my gosh. there's so much that goes into running one that people don't realize that you you long for the point where you're just practicing law it's all the other stuff that goes into it that kills you so um and interestingly enough when I was leaving the state, they had come in and designed a central Pasco um, judicial center. They showed us the plans for it. Courthouse was going to be connected to the jail. They actually came in and started damaging our offices, like spray painting numbers on the walls because they were going to redesign the state attorney's office in Newport Ritchie to be a county administration building. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I have this information that they're about to move out here. I'm going to be the first lawyer next to the new courthouse. So I go and get myself an office right down the street from where they're going to build this brand new courthouse, which... You know, as I sit here some eight years later, still doesn't exist. Um, so I I, uh, I go out. I, I open my own practice. I start chasing work around. And I did that uh, all What the type way of up. law? Was it strictly you, criminal? If, or? if it walked in my door, Threshold. I tried to figure out oh, if right. I could figure it out. So I had experience doing consumer protection. So I was right. doing that. I had experience uh, doing the property insurance stuff. I had learned about assignment of benefits cases doing that. And uh, I had some connections to people that were... Have that type of work clients. to refer. Yeah. yeah, so I had that access. My family, I grew up fixing cars. My family owns oh, wow. body shops. So I had access to some of the accidents from that. But a lot of times by the time they get there, yeah. they've already got a lawyer. Yeah. Um, so I, I did some personal injury. And then I stumbled into the absolute festering pit that is family law. Oh, so you've, you've oh, dipped your toe I've in Oh, I've practiced world. family oh, law. Okay. That is, 
I, uh, That's my area. I learned that I do not like to do family law. I ended up, because I knew a bunch of cops, and cops are... Oh, there's a great source are, of family they law. They are a great source of family law work, and I discovered that not only are those cases rough, that the law enforcement divorces are particularly ugly. And there's always a lot of uh, allegations of abuse, which means there's an injunction, which means someone can't carry their firearm, which means that they can't work, and now you're arguing about child support, you're arguing about alimony. Um, You're giving me flashbacks. Sorry. And then you start talking about the pensions and the retirements. Oh, a quadro? I didn't know what a quadro. Oh, Oh, that's crazy. And then then I have a lot of friends who are police officers, but they will hold on to each nickel like it's their last, trying to get them to pay a bill is a nightmare. And so... You know, chasing chasing people. My least favorite part of running my own practice was chasing people for money. Well, and the thing that would kill me is no one ever wants to include their overtime in their income. It's like <laughs> I make sixty thousand dollars a year. Well, your your W two and everything else suggests you make about one hundred and forty thousand dollars with overtime, and that you've done that for the last eight years consistently. <laughs> so I appreciate you don't want to include your overtime, but the, you know, but you, you'll argue that point forever. So those yeah. cases are definitely tough. I enjoyed it. I had this guy hired me to do a modification because he didn't like his timeshare. I'm like, sure enough. And they had actually, he was dating a uh, paralegal. So she started keeping track. And they discovered they were actually doing way more of the days than they were getting credit for. So I was like, okay, well, that's pretty straightforward. I'll help you out with that. What he doesn't disclose to me is that he's also picked up a side job insurance adjusting and making like an extra 100K oh. a year. And I'm like, you sure what you did wanna... you do? Yeah. He's like, well, they don't know about this. I'm like, you gotta, do you understand yeah, how you're these under rules oath. work? Yeah, you know what perjury is? <laughs> yeah. That, that was, was that Disky or who was the... Oh, the judge on that one? No, that was in Hillsborough. Oh. Um, that I was probably in Nazareth. Did you do much in front of Disky? Uh, not a ton. His son is a prosecutor there. Yes, now, he is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I always love Disky because he always looks like he was just working on an engine in his chambers when he comes out. <laughs> he's always like cleaning grease like off his fingers or like he had just painted something. And he's he reminds he's a throwback. He kind of reminds sure me of like a Charles Bronson type character. He's yeah. just kind of this. Just got off my you know my horse, and I'm going to come in and kind of do what I want to do. And you're going to take it. And if you want to appeal me, go ahead and try. But uh, anyway, so so family law. So th- is this your first time running for judge? Yeah, yeah. All right, that's Which, uh that is a whole new experience on that one. And you know, we just added we sprinkled on a pandemic for the extra adventure of it. So it's interesting though because I've had this conversation with a number of the other people that have been running is I would almost rather this be your first stab at it because you're not suffering from the way it used to be in running a campaign. You're able to kind of be approaching it with fresh eyes. Now maybe you disagree with me, but you I know, don't have any anything to compare it to. Well, this to, is my so. point, though. But I've talked to you know Gary Dolgen, who's like his third or fourth time running, and certain other people, Greg Green, second time running, some of these other people who've run before, and it's just a different animal entirely. You you know you're not standing on the side of the road waving signs. You're not going and speaking to large groups of people. You're not yeah. get, you know so much of it has got to be this type of thing now, where it's a podcast or a Zoom conference or your social media platform. So it's really kind of a whole different animal than what it had been in years past. Yeah, and for me, I'm a, uh, I'm like the aw shucks prosecutor. Like, if you could find me a seersucker suit, I'd probably pull, like, the, you know, uh, the Colonel Sanders or something yeah. on you. Yeah. Like, that's just me. I, I say I grow on people. I, sure. I'll sit down and I'll talk with you and I'll just work my way into that's... the conversation. So for me, I really need those face-to-face interactions because I can't just pick up a phone and put on a sales pitch. I'm not a sales type of guy. Yeah, talking about yourself, I'm, I'm, you know, it might surprise you to know having a podcast, but I'm not one who likes to sell myself. I'm not like one who likes to tell people about myself. I don't like to talk about money. I don't like to talk about my accolade or whatever. Um, but there is this kind of way that I've viewed my career, and I, we, I was talking about. I think it was, yeah, I was talking about with you earlier about Brian Scriven about all these attorneys in their pristine suits. And I've always kind of had this Columbo view of myself, (laughs) which is, you know, rather than telegraph your punches and come in the room like you own the place, as as I'd rather be underestimated, you know, I'd rather people not have their guard up. I'd rather people not be, you know, burning the midnight oil to prepare a case against me, thinking that they're going to be able to kind of do whatever and then kind of catch them off guard. So, you know, when with you describing kind of, your personality and the way that you come across, I, I can definitely identify with that. Yeah, every trial for me is I'm just trying to tell a story. And I'll get like way out there. And usually, you know, by the time you get to closing, you're sort of, you're so wrapped up in the case that you, I've never planned a closing in my life. But I don't, 
a handful of times, like I found myself lying down on the floor of the courtroom to demonstrate oh, you something. Get, you get in that groove, man. Yeah, I went and like ripped a chair out of like a the jury deliberation room to make a point in one recently. Well, again, you know, comparing it to performance or sports, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you, I don't know what it would be in hockey, but like baseball, when you hit a baseball clean and it just feels like you swung right through it and yeah. it just pops off that bat, playing a, playing a, you know, playing in a band and everybody's on their A game, everybody, you know, you're not playing in front of or behind the drummer, everybody's in a, just grooving. I mean, when you're in a trial, and you're you got the wind behind your back, and it's there's not a better feeling, you know. You got them wrapped around your fingers. It's that's that's the juice that makes the squeeze of being a lawyer pay off for me. I find it's that, and it's the having a trial partner. Yeah, I, some of the greatest experiences, like you know, relationships. You, you get, get very close this, to people. Yeah, it's like being in the foxhole, and for I hate. Sure. I try not to make war analogies to right. trial because it's not. not but it is like you're you're in it together. Oh yeah, and you're just. You know, you have this moment where you are tightly connected to somebody else, especially if you're trying something important. Oh, yeah. I had uh, Allison Ridenour was my trial partner. We had a, I think it was an L&L and a sex battery or oh. something. And the defendant's first name was Jerry. And the whole fact of the case was how he was like a, a friend of the father of this young girl. And it kind of ingratiated himself to the family and slowly started to groom this young girl into whatever. And... um Finally, the allegations come out once this kind of girl is broken free of the, the, the uh, power of this guy over her, mm-hmm. and she, she just out of the blue didn't plan or anything. She just stops in the middle of her closing and she goes, "Jerry free, Jerry free," and everybody was like looking at her. <laughs> and to this day, like fifteen years later, I'll see her and she's like, "Jerry free, Jerry free." <laughs> so I still remember that closing argument. But it's true; you have these stories yeah. and these experiences with people. Um, so, uh, what, who's your opponent? Who are you running against? Uh, the, my opponent is a girl named Katie Mansfield. Okay. Uh, what's her story? I don't want to say. Okay. Well, I mean, is she, <laughs> was she prosecutor, public defender? Or? Uh, I think she, she works for the sheriff's office now. She's okay. a former prosecutor. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to advocate for her, but I just don't even, I don't know who she is either. I'm not, I'm not, I'm in Dade <laughs> all the time right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a Newport Ritchie so much. It's her father's a judge in Newport Ritchie. Okay. Is it Judge Mansfield? Correct. Okay. I don't even know who that is. So, uh, civil, civil okay. docket. Okay. Well, well, there you go. Um, so <laughs> how has it been with your family? Are they, are they enjoying this? Are they participating or are they ready to have it over with? I've found that I get one of two answers. Either the family's all in or the family's like, when is this going to be over? I think it's, it, it's actually both. It's honestly both at the same time. Cause I think my kids for sure would like this to be over, but they also do enjoy, um, Helping. Sure. Like my daughter, I'm, you know, at the point where I'm trying to go out and canvas neighborhoods or go visit businesses. My daughter wants to go with me every time. She well, wants awesome. to put on the shirt and come with me. It's awesome, except she's super shy. So if I take her into some place, and mind you, we haven't done as much of this now that we have the masks right. and the stuff. But, you know, I'm like, okay, we'll say hi to the, you know, I'm stopping at a law office. And unless there's candy, she's not, she doesn't have a ton of interest. Right. She just sort of hides behind me. And I'm like, why, why are you coming with me if you're not going to say hi? You're my best asset. You're better looking than me. Um, my wife is like a million percent behind me and is a, a driving force. But on the trade-off, she's a uh, relentless human being as a lawyer. Like her approach is just to work through every what problem. What does she do? Uh, she does. She's the head of the products liability division at Banker Lopez Gasler. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she's got a pretty good gig. Nice. Um, You're and, a kept man. Well, that's actually the story <laughs> of how I ended up closing my practice right. is when she made equity partner there and we had the two little kids. It made more sense for one of us to have the structured job, sure. And that's when I, I was I decided I would like to go back to the state because you know with raising kids it's a lot better to have this right you know that ability um, right. But yeah, so her but her approach to every problem is to just work the problem to death until it's defeated. Yeah, and you can't do that in this because yeah. you don't have control over all of these factors. Right. So uh, so some of it's just you know well, all we can do is work as hard as we can, but it's a you end up speaking in platitudes and stuff. Yeah, you have very little control over. It's funny because you look at there's like five hundred thousand voters in Pasco, and this will be decided by a, a handful. handful. Like it's like forty thousand is the normal turnout, and this one's going to be really low because I just saw the sample ballot, and it's like three judges and a school board member, and that's it. That's you the think, whole. Do you think mail-in will help with that at all? I think or? mail-in's going to be huge in this one, but that's uh, that's the most expensive part of a campaign. How are you so. getting that message across? You have to send mailers, which is weird to me because I'm a person that would just take a mailer and throw it in the trash. Yeah, but you're appealing to a broader base of people. There's a lot of people that, you know, they don't go on social media. They just 
look for stuff like that. So one of the greatest lessons I learned in my life is not using myself as the measure of what yeah. other people think or do. I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make is that thinking everybody thinks the way you mm -hmm. do, acts the way you act, likes the things that you like. And you're a glutton for rude awakenings constantly if, if you base your practices on what appeals to you. So it's it's I'm happy to hear that you uh, figured that out because that's definitely a big one to figure out. Yeah, I feel like finding a uh, my mother-in-law is probably a better bellwether for what works and what doesn't right, than I am. Right, 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 right. It's funny, too, because as a lawyer, you get wrapped up in lawyer stuff. Like, I'm, like I meet people and I want to tell them how many trials I've done because I think that's my best legal asset. And they're like... Is that a lot? Does that matter? Right. right. Well, everybody like, out here. Yes, it's a lot, but nobody yeah, knows. Yeah, it's it's funny. Well, it's funny because I have this. This comes up a lot in family law for me. Is is I'll be making a point or trying to put a piece of evidence in or arguing about something, and the the judge will say, "Why are you telling me this? That, that doesn't matter to me." And 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 I'll say, "Judge, I don't have the benefit of knowing what matters <laughs> to you, so I have to put on a case." Making sure I'm addressing all of these things, whether or not it matters to you, I guess is up to you, but. You know, not having the benefit of knowing what what speaks to you, you got to kind of have a broad, uh, uh, you know, a, a broad swath that you're appealing to. Um, so, uh, yeah, you mentioned your daughter. Aren't daughters amazing? I, I, yeah. I, I, my daughter, Stella, is just the love of my life. How old is you your daughter? She's six. Okay. And it's like having a second wife. Um, you know, my relationship with her, she's gotten to the point now where I know what my wife's mad at me about because my <laughs> daughter will start. Because my wife will like complain about me when I'm not there to my daughter, and my daughter's like, "Daddy, why don't you take your shoes and put them in your closet at the end of the night or whatever?" <laughs> and I'm like, "I ah, see what's happening here." But she, you know, I get it in stereo now. My wife and my daughter kind of That's on both awesome. sides telling me what's going on, and then my son, who's two, he's just learning to talk, and he's just, uh, I, I'm, I'm just so pleased to be a father. I, I, I it was really, you know, yeah. the best part of my day. Yeah, that's 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 the everything for me. I'm way more about the dad stuff than anything else. Right. In fact, this is like my goofy dad, dad barbecue and shirt. But the uh, my son is just a as soon as he started talking, he just yammers. Yeah. He talks twenty four seven. In fact, I tried to make these like you know sometimes you you get into something you read like a a book on self help. Like I read the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People sure. because I was like I couldn't hurt effective. right. Yeah. And it has these things about planning. So on my list of plans, one of them is like just. Spend 15 minutes a week just listening to him talk. Yeah. Because he'll just, he starts talking. And sometimes it's easy to tune out because he's, he just keeps it's going just and going. White noise in the so background. I'm like, I try to devote at least 15 minutes. It doesn't sound like a lot to just only listening to whatever he has to it's say. It's so important. You know, I've, I've, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier the therapy that I go to, but I, I've spent a good portion of that talking with my therapist about, you know, because, because a, a big reason I had two amazing parents who I love very much. But they struggle with depression, struggle with alcohol. And so there's a lot of things that I experienced as a child that I didn't want to um, repeat for them. And so, you know, a lot, that caused some anxiety for me. You know, I don't want to be, you know, just because I've had a bad day, I don't want to come home and pass that on to them. Mm -hmm. I don't want my anxiety or stress to be passed on to them. I don't, all these other things. But one of the big ones is getting on their level and just giving them your undivided attention, even for a very small period of time. Uh, they have such a feeling of value that that you know that they're they they are valued. They're worth something because this parent is listening to yeah. me. So, and it's it's crazy because I think about you know you look at our president or you look at these different people in the media and emotional intelligence is such a under addressed aspect of society. I, I think it's equally, if not more, important than you know academic intelligence mm -hmm. and uh you know in family law criminal law a lot of these things you see how these people who are very successful people high achieving in one area are just a complete circus emotionally yeah. you okay yeah yeah get something you're on making you yeah, cry I started twitching i'm i'm very i'm you know I, I get i get my guests to cry i'm like a uh, oprah win for your barbara walters it was on my way i can i can do it if i need to so in any event, I digress. But uh, so uh, before we wrap up, uh, where can people find you on social media? On oh, OK. Uh, yeah, that's what you come to these for plugs, right? Yeah, there's a reason. There's you're a whole reason. I know. Uh, so the uh, the website is uh, Justice for Judge, the four being the number four. Right. And uh, the Facebook page is uh, Joe Justice for Pasco Judge. And uh, they can find us on there. Um, uh, the, one of the weird things about running for judges, I don't have anything to do with either of the things. Right. They're run by the committee to elect. Yeah. I love that part, too. Somebody's like, 
who did the checks get made out to? And you're like, oh, this is a fun one. It's like the committee yeah. of responsible people to elect Joe Justice for county court judge yeah. group five. <laughs> Do you like, have I'm a not, stamp? I'm yeah. not writing yeah. that on anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, so I kind of shorted you a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm getting bored of talking to judicial nominees about what they feel the most important traits and characteristics are of someone on the bench. Because usually what happens is I just talk about temperament the whole it, time. Yeah, I think that it, for county, yeah, that's absolutely it. Because let's face it, county, we're moving large. It's volume. Yeah. Right? You're doing, you got to keep moving the stuff. Like, you can't be sitting there getting bogged down in traffic court or misdemeanors shouldn't have birthdays, things like that. But I uh, I like to think I'm just sort of a normal guy. Well, you seem as such. I yeah. mean, you, you, you've enjoyed our conversation. You seem like a down-to-earth, you know, salt-of-the-earth type guy. Um yeah, the, the the temperament thing for me, I don't mind if a judge doesn't know the law, if they're working on the law, these other things, but was it you or somebody, I think it was you who mentioned, the judge starts yelling at me or a judge starts, you know, making it even tougher than it needs to be because of the atmosphere in the room, that just does not work for me. So that's always something I try and talk about with people that are running. Yeah, and there's always the ones where like, you know, so-and-so is the star of their courtroom. Like they're Ego. The, everything Ego goes and temperament. Around. That always for me is... And I like to think, you know, not to overpitch, but since I've worked both for the government and on my own, I've had the problem of like being stuck in a courtroom where you're not getting called thinking, you know, I've got other people I've got to work for. I've, I, the clients don't have the money to be paying me to sit around and stuff like that. So I like to think that at least I'll bring all of that with me. And I took so many cases in so many places. I think I, I tried to count the practice in front of like 30 different judges. So I've had the, you know, everything on the spectrum for experience. And I right. hope I'm going to bring, you know, the... The well, parts you like to it. Well, well, touching off on that, I give everybody who's running for the spot a chance here at the end to kind of tell tell the listeners why they feel they're uniquely qualified for the spot. So, <laughs> to the extent we haven't already discussed it, do you have anything? I would you rather want? talk more about music. Well, you it's know, it's easier for me. Here's what's happy. Here's what's happy for me is 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 if you follow my show, a lot of the titles of my episodes are usually references to songs or references to movies Dude, or whatever. I, I, I was very amused by the title of every episode. Well, I've, uh, Injustice for All has already just popped into my head for ah, years. So. I was sitting there going, what is he going to use for yeah, mine? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's some low-hanging fruit, isn't well, it? I have my uh, Injustice for All Barely Legal Podcast t-shirt. Ah. I'm, a big, I'm a big metal guy, so I've already got yours named. I had to, nice. You know Lori Chain? She does more. In yeah, day, yeah. She's, uh, she's the head of, or she's moderating the East Pasco Bar Association's Judicial Forum, which... Apparently, they're going to give all of us five minutes to talk at the beginning, so whoever's going to watch that, it can yeah. enjoy 30 straight minutes of people talking about themselves before we get to questions. Woo! Well, so Brian Scrivens' uh, Don't Go Back to Brooksville is an R.E.M. song. Lori Chains' is Never Break the Chain, which yeah. is a Fleetwood Mac song. Bjorn Brunvon, uh, Until the Light Takes Us, is the name of a documentary about Norwegian death metal. Huh. And Bjorn's from Norway. Yeah, so. I, I watched him try a case years ago. The guy's... Got He's some phenomenal. Chops. He's really good. He's yeah. a, he, that's a good one. His license plate is something like the Acquitter. Acquitter is his Yeah, that's his legal is, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's his fancy car, too. Well, when I, it's funny because when I started as a state attorney, I, you know, I ran into him a lot over there at the courthouse in, in Clearwater and he had this long, long ponytail. And I always assumed the story behind it was that he was really big into tennis and he was like a Bjorn Borg type of <laughs> character. But it turns out he was representing the outlaw motorcycle gang. And as a form of protest for how he felt that these motorcycle people were being treated by the government based on how they looked, he decided that he was going to grow this long ponytail in the back. And he had it forever, you know, but in any event. Huh, interesting I did not character. know that story. Yeah, it was, I just assumed it was, he was like a tennis guy. But anyway, so, um, well, we happy to talk about music if you want. Uh, we were talking about Woodstock 99, which yeah, my, that was an experience. Todd Seiden, who uh, he he knows, he's probably earlier than you, but he he worked over over there in Newport Ritchie. He worked with Wandsboro and a lot of these other people, but uh, he was at that concert and he told me what a complete just insanity was like Limp Biscuit and Rage Against the Machine and yeah, Hot Chili Peppers. And you know, there's always this like new metal idea of shit's going to go south real quick <laughs> you know the type of fan that it appeals to and and, and all of that sort of stuff yeah that thing was a uh that was a disaster waiting to happen because you know was it in new york yeah it was, was in it rome in new york okay. on an air force base and the thing if you you know follow woodstock is they've never made money with a woodstock and here's a weird it's so poorly set up i yeah. mean the last one they had to cancel didn't they this is really yeah they did cancel it and really screw is woodstock 99's website still exists Sure. My buddy that went with me texted it to me like a week ago. He's like, how is this still up? And I'm like, 
I'm like, somebody's debit card has been charged for this for like the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And nobody notices on auto refresh. So they, in a desperate attempt to make sure they would make money at this one, after all the others, they did it on an Air Force base and they built a wall around this thing. There was this like 20 foot high plywood backed by a concrete wall that they had Peter Max come out and paint, which they were going to cut into squares and then sell Sell for a fortune. And the prices of this place were insane. They were so expensive in 99 that just now are we getting to the level where those prices are Disney prices. Making sense, they were yeah. charging like five bucks for a bottled water. They were charging, um, I, I I remember a, like a foot long sub back at the time was probably like three ninety nine or yeah. something. And they were $12. And we're going, it's like a dollar an inch. Um, so <laughs> they were just holding you out. And their, their I may was, change the name of this episode <laughs> to, to a dollar an inch. inch. <laughs> so... Uh, they were so, they, and their whole gimmick was everything in here is obscenely expensive, but there's a bus over there that will take you to town where you can buy things for normal prices. Of course, that trip will take you like three bands. four hours. So they knew you weren't. And uh, interestingly enough, too, they had locked up all the alcohol. They had a beer garden, which was essentially a fenced-in cage, oh, which was the only place people could drink. And I sounds like the fire festival to me. Literally, to... This is literally the fire festival. Yeah. yeah. So you could see people's attitudes were just devolving. Like people were getting more and more frustrated, more angry as it was going on. It's bleak, too, because this is this gray Air Force base. There's nothing. Are you on tarmac? Are you in grass? So some you... of it was off the runway. The main stage was near the runway. that just seems like it would be hot as shit. Oh, it was It was Blazing. booking. Yeah. And um, there were two stages, and you couldn't get... The two stages are probably about, I don't know, a tenth of a mile apart, but it takes an hour to walk from one to the other because they have all these gates and stuff you have to route through oh, to go to one to the other. miserable. So you had to plan out your day in this weird way. My buddy got food poisoning, so he saw everything on the second stage because our tent was by the second stage. Uh, and the second stage had like Everclear and Our Lady Peace and some some Our Lady bands. Peace. I, I've been on this kick lately of songs when I was in college. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge music snob. Yeah. Like, but I have these little like guilty pleasures and uh, this is Our Lady Peace. For the other reason, Someday, a few days ago, I listened to Our Lady Peace for like an hour, the same song like over yeah. and over again. You would find me like, it's that kind of, you know that embarrassing singing along that you only do with oh, top yeah. volume? Yeah, like Superman's Dead. Oh, no. oh for sure. Yeah. You get your three doors down. or mm-hmm. you're, uh, do, you, do you remember who David Cook was? He was on uh, he was on American Idol. No, I don't know that one. You gotta get, so I, I've got, I've, you've got some homework. I'm going to send you that, that Rage Against the Machine concert video, and then I'm going to send you this song. <laughs> and I listen to it every day on the drive home from work, and it's like the most commercial just devoid of any art, whatever, but I just find myself listening to the song and like uh, singing to it every day on the way home. So Yeah, I think I saw them at like the State Theater in like 98 and I was obsessed with them for, you know, that brief period of time. You were those perfect times when you had CD books and like, like oh. a CD would hit at just the right time and you'd be on endless loop in your oh. car. And Oh, no, I have, yeah. I have, I have very good memory. I got so deep into Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot oh, Chili yeah. Peppers. I just, that album just sent me into like a existential journey. And I, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers now, I mean, they're, they're still around and I still love them, but they've kind of, I don't know how well they've aged, you know, the, the, the kind of rap rock yeah. that hasn't aged quite as well as it. But that album to me, and especially John Frusciante, the guitarist, is just one of my biggest heroes. I'll show you my office before we leave. I have all my guitars in there, but... Um, Where's I going with that? Oh, that album, that album to me just just got you at a certain got time. Me. And Justice yeah. for All was one. And then I was going into high school when Nirvana and Pearl Jam mm-hmm. and all that, and then Rage Against the Machine and Tool, and <laughs> you know, so all these people are you know very formative years for me. I had a uh, Pearl Jam story. I've skipped in my entire. I was you know total nerd of course in high school. Uh, I skipped exactly one class in my life, and it was AP Physics in twelfth uh, grade. And it's because I worked in the attendance office. And my buddy, same guy I went to Woodstock with, walks into the attendance office at like one in the afternoon. And he's like, hey, man, do you want to see Pearl Jam? I'm like, yeah, I want to see Pearl Jam. When? He's like, like, now. And I'm like, what? And it was, you know, they had that big dispute with Ticketmaster. Yeah, yeah. They didn't tour forever. It was the Yield Tour. And he's like, no, I mean, like right now. Like, was it at Janus or where was it? It was at Coral Sky down in. Uh, you said that, yeah. Yeah. Now, is that West no, Palm Beach? Or? Yeah, it's West Palm. That's where I saw Rage, too. Different. I saw Radiohead different there. Different event. But yeah. the, uh, and I saw The Cure there years ago, too. Ooh. Those were all long drives. So, I get this, and I'm like, he's like, you got to leave now. And I'm like, I don't skip school, but it's Pearl Jam. So, and he had, he was the first person I knew with a cell phone. So he's like, you can call your mom on the cell phone on the way. So I call my mom and I'm like, I have the opportunity of a lifetime. She thinks I've gotten a scholarship to college. I'm like, no, I got tickets to Pearl Jam. She's like, what? 
And I remember she's she's yelling at me on the phone and she's like, you're going to school tomorrow. I don't care what time you get back. So I get back at like 4 a.m. from the most amazing concert with two Jolt Colas that I plan to oh, drink Jolt at 6 when I, uh, when I wake up and go to school. And I sure enough went. But those are the that's the that's I'll never forget. Oh, that. those those are the those are the experiences. Yeah. Uh, Dave Decker, who's been on the show a bunch of time, I'm a huge Fugazi fan, uh, and uh, he got to see Fugazi play up in Gainesville, and he actually got his nose smashed in during the concert. And Joe Lally, the bassist, gave him his T-shirt to mop up the blood on his face, and he took the T-shirt. And this is all on YouTube. We've got yeah. the video of it now. And at the end of the concert, Joe Lally came over and said, "We didn't. I don't really have a lot of clothes on tour, so can I have this shirt back? And he's like, sure, here you go. But it's stuff like that. You know, I have a That's Butthole so Surfers cool. concert story that I always tell. And, I've, you know, these, 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 they're just so huge. And, again, getting back to how this COVID's really impacted me, it's just killing me. Because, yeah. you know, I would try and go to a show, if not every month, every other month. And I, I haven't. I don't think I've been to one this year. And I, I mean, I had tickets to the Rolling Stones. I had tickets to Guns N' Roses. I had tickets to Tool. You know, all these different things. My buddy, my buddy's band Wolfface, they're supposed to play at Fest in Gainesville. Did you ever do Fest when you were there? No. Do you know what that is? No, I don't. So every year they have uh, Fest, which is in the fall. I think it's like in October. And like every bar in Gainesville, all the bands go there to play. And it's everyone from higher end bands that you've heard of to kind of lower end local bands. But it's this huge thing. And I think... They haven't announced it yet, but I think they might be the first year that they cancel fast. And wow. yeah, it's such a bummer. Yeah, law school sort of ruins your ability to That's enjoy true. anything. This is true. I forgot that was law school, not undergrad. <laughs> well, it was such a pleasure to meet you. Now that I know you, I, I like you. I'm happy to you know have a, 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 a colleague to talk music with and uh, history and all these other things. Uh, I'm excited for your campaign. I wish you the best of luck. Um, is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners before we go? Uh, thanks and. Oh, for the love of goodness, it's August 18th. That's the easy part to forget. Mail-in so, ballots. Watch your mail-in ballots. Yep, if you those don't are want coming to. out soon. And then uh, let me know whether Injustice for All or A Dollar for Every Inch should be what I name this. Dealer's choice on that one. God, that's such a good title. All right, thank you. It's nice <laughs> meeting you. All right, bye-bye.